Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode two of Flames Nation Radio. It is we're recording this on Wednesday. This will drop on Thursday. So we'll address the awkwardness of some of that timing later on. Uh, this week, I'm joined with... Uh, Nation Network staff writers slash paid slave Mike Gould, who's probably writing seven things at once as we're as we're recording this. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, yes, I'm. Uh, I'm joining a fourth site this week, so that's uh, that's that's a lot of fun. The, the list of nation entities that Mike doesn't work for is probably shorter than the ones he does. Uh, and yeah. then there's our, our good friend returning from last week, Shane Stevenson, who we keep all to ourselves. Hi, Shane. Yes. Hello, I, I am loyal, and, and uh, I, I, it's because I have schoolwork. <laughs> I have no other time to write anything else. The, the difference like between you and Mike is that, you know, Mike just never sleeps. And when he, I get text messages from Mike or, or DMs in our Slack at like 3.30 in the morning, and I'm trying to figure out if he's just waking up or just going to bed, and I can't tell. No, I never. I would never get up that early. That's way too early to get up. Uh, but I'm always, eh, I wouldn't say always, but I my schedule just, forces me to do my writing and it's also just the way that sort of the the machine works you know you have to get ready for things to go live in the morning you want to make sure you have all of the info that you need so you don't want to write it during the middle of the day in case something happens right so you got to stay up late especially on the on the west coast uh so the, the uh, last week we were speaking in hypotheticals because the calgary flames had played no games of consequence so of the zero points available in the preseason, the Flames had zero points. They're a little bit ahead of where they were last week. They played two games this past week, and they got they gained one point. Uh, the games were a 5-2 Saturday night loss to the Edmonton Oilers and Hockey Night in Canada, which we'll get into in a second. What probably wasn't as one-sided as the score suggests. And then a 3-2 overtime loss to the Anaheim Ducks in uh, before what was, I believe, an announced crowd uh, of about 15,600 people at the Saddle which – Typically, NHL teams, uh, when they publish their attendance, it's tickets distributed. So it looked like there was about 15,000 people there and it looked like everyone's having a good time. And so hopefully that continues. They were treated to a pretty decent game, not a perfect game, uh, but the, the Anaheim Ducks are a team that we'll get, we'll get into that. We'll go over these games in order in a second. But the Anaheim Ducks are a scrappy bunch. They have a bunch of players who hockey people go – that player is going to be pretty good in two or three years. And right now they're promising, but wildly inconsistent, much like the Flames were many, many years ago. We'll see how the Ducks turn out, but the Calgary Flames right now, uh, they began the season with that 5-2 loss in Edmonton. And 
I'll, I'll start with you, Mike. I, I thought the Flames basically looked like we were led to believe they would with a full training camp under Daryl Sutter. Yeah, you can tell that they look a bit more prepared to start this season than they have years past. Um, there's still a lot that I worry about, but at the same time, it's not the worst foundation for to start the season that we could have seen. We could have seen a complete collapse uh, like we have seen in years past where they've just come out of the gate and they've just gotten obliterated on open night, opening night. And that didn't really happen. They controlled a fair amount of the play. But the number one thing that I was worried about with the Flames entering the season is already showing signs of manifesting itself, and that is the lack of finish. Um, Because they have good offensive play drivers, but it's been a relatively consistent theme under Brad Tree Living's watch, and it's one that he's tried to address uh, with extremely inconsistent returns. But the offense just doesn't have the shooters that it needs, and even their best shooters who they have relied upon in recent seasons, guys like Sean Monaghan are just losing that touch. So I, I like the way that they're driving play and I can see them scoring some more goals, but at the same time, I was not at all. So two games of the season, because I suspect that might be something that becomes a bit of a recurring theme this year. Um, otherwise, you know, the defense, um, it's okay. I just, uh, I'm not sure I like the configuration that Daryl has gone with to start the season. I don't really think I need to see 82 games of both Nikita Zadorov and Eric Goodbranson in the lineup. And honestly, at this point, I think Eric Goodbranson has earned his spot more than Nikita Zadorov, which is crazy to say. I know Shane definitely has some thoughts on this. Um, but yeah, I, I said this, I was on uh, 960 overtime with Pat after the opening game, and I just... I don't understand what the thought process is with the Oliver Shillington situation. Um, I just can't fathom it right now, playing him two minutes at even strength in the season opener after the preseason that he had. And after the preseason and the opening two games, that the other guys on defense had, it's just doesn't sit right with me, but uh, I'm sure Shane has some more macro thoughts on that sense. Uh, I do. I do. Uh, Nikita Zadorov was not good in game one his job uh, him and Tanev got tasked with trying to hold down uh, Connor McDavid and company and needless uh, to say Connor McDavid won and that's that's not an uncommon thing to happen in the NHL so it's not I don't want to read too hard into that specific one because in general most most teams are going to Connor McDavid's going to make you look silly on any given night so uh, I, I did see some like Mike, Mike had touched on the play driving and, and they did do that at five on five. Uh, they, the first game specifically though, they got themselves into way too much penalty trouble against a team that has a power play that lethal. There's, there was discussions on bigger panels uh, about how the Oilers actually might set a record for power play finishing this year. They really th- believe that with the unit they have, even if they get injured, someone other than McDavid and dry side will get injured. They, they could go on. So the flames getting rough and tumble and taking all those penalties and getting themselves behind to start was not a good uh, option. I did see some positive signs. Uh, they did you know, last year specifically. We, it was hard to get three periods out of this team. It was hard to get three full periods and a consistent game. And not only just the first game, but both games, we saw them fight all three periods, both games. So that's a welcome sign for me immediately. There, there was no slow start. They came out, they pushed play. But Mike said it best. They, they're all Swede, no finish. They, they, they've got 
we touched on it last week. We said they've got a lot of potential 20 goal scorers, but they don't really have that 30, 40 goal guy. Monaghan used to be that, but you know, we're waiting on seeing what he is this year, coming back from surgery, healthy. And, and there's other situations we're going to talk about with Monaghan here later, but uh, for, first game, positive signs. Uh, your defensive matchup didn't work, but overall there was more positive than negative. Uh, the, the difference was two power play goals and an empty net goal. So five on five, it was even. And I would like Markstrom to have that Pugliarvi goal back. That was from way too far out. You've got, you've got to have your $6 million goaltender get that. But other than that, he was, he was solid. But you, you can't – you thought it, it killed the Leafs for years. Frederick Anderson would just let that one week one in, and the Leafs couldn't finish off. And, and it, the Flames can't have Markstrom doing that, so – yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give I'll give you, you guys like uh, Shane. You and I talked about this last week. I think we sort of figured that the that the it'd be Valimaki and Goodbranson or whoever played with Goodbranson, the third pairing, getting heavy offensive zone starts, which is what happened. And Anderson and Hannafin getting sort of the easier strategic matchups, which is what happened. And then Tanev and Tatarov getting saddled with you know the tough whatever tough minutes they could give them because. You know, Chris Tanev is a really good defensive defenseman when he's on his game. And unfortunately, like if you're playing defensive de- defense and you have a lot of trust in your partner, not to say that Chris Tanev does not have trust in Nikita Zadorov, but if you're playing in a role where you have faith in someone in your partner to do their job, you don't need to overextend yourself. So if, if the idea is that all Chris Tanev needs to do is to be a great right side defenseman, he can play really well in on the right side. I mean, I think one of the reasons why Michael Stone was so effective in sort of a, a defensive zone job last year, playing primarily with Connor Mackey and Yusuf Alamaki, primarily Valamaki, was the Flames trusted Mackey and Valamaki to do their gigs, and so did Stone. So Stone just needed to, f- to focus on what he needed to do, and he didn't have anything in the back of his mind. But, you know, if, if you're... Tanev and potentially you have to overextend yourself to sort of help out your partner. It's not conducive to success. And, you know, we saw some of that in the preseason. We saw some of that against Edmonton. Um, I think we saw that a little bit against Anaheim too, but to a lesser extent, because all due respect to Anaheim, they're not quite Edmonton in terms of offensive talent level, but uh, Mike, you were going to, you were going to jump in too, because I know, uh, I just think for for I think the biggest challenge to, to answer the question you you posed, Mike, in terms of Oliver Shillington's role, the worst thing that could have happened for Shillington in that first game happened because Valmacki had a good game and he made that really nice playing along the wall that set up that first goal from uh, from Mangiapane. And I think you dress seven defensemen if you I don't know you have to you have to dress eighteen skaters and they didn't have enough forwards so you might as well play Shillington. It beats him beating popcorn, but. I'm not sure what three minutes to really achieve because he didn't really get much of a chance to carve out more of a role for himself, especially once Valimaki and Gabranson seem to really find some rhythm together. When you're playing against the Edmonton Oilers, you need to be fast and you need to not take penalties. And the thing with Nikita Zadorov is, is he's slow and he takes a lot of penalties. And that to me makes him, he has to be really perfect to have any value for me if you're playing against Connor McDavid. And Zadorov has some isolated defensive impacts that are positive, but I feel like he does undoes a lot. He just if he's getting turnstiled, I don't see what the upside is. Um 
personally, I just, I, I think from a stylistic perspective, um, having Tanev being the mobile guy on a pairing doesn't really sit that well with me. I, I just don't think it's going to be a recipe for success. And part of the reason why the Hannafin Tanev pairing was so effective last year is because Hannafin was the primary puck mover and Tanev's workload in that regard was a little bit decreased. Um, with Zadorov, I just, I, I, I don't see it at all. And I, I don't want to see that pairing stay together. Um, I think putting Chillington back with Tanev after the, tremendous performance they had in the preseason would be a good idea. But at the same time, I don't get the coaching staff really has more than one spot open for a defenseman who is under the age of 25. I guess Anderson's also under the age of 25, but you know what I mean? It's, it's not, it just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem to me like much of a meritocracy back there right now. Um, not especially after the first two games, but that said, it is still early, and they've made a pretty big financial investment on Zadorov. So, I understand why they're doing it, but I don't have to like it. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll just say this in in uh, in the words in the title of a very funny romantic comedy I saw. I give it a year. The, I I don't think Nikita Zadorov's long for this organization, but that's just my opinion. I think Shane, you wanted to jump in. Yeah, I, I just I was thinking. Structurally, uh, we talked about this last week, and we saw it. Uh, Hannafin and Anderson have always worked well together. Their numbers always end up on the positive side of the spectrum, um, especially when you give them more, more time. They they flow well. They play well. They they feed two games. The best Flames defense pair. Now they've been getting the easy matchups. It's been Valimaki and Brenson, so you really can't mess that up right now. So the Flames are in a spot where it's like, okay, well, the problem right now is Tanev Zadarov. But they don't the coach the coaching staff obviously doesn't have the trust in Chillington. You know, he, he had a great preseason, but obviously the regular season is a different animal. Uh and, and you're not gonna take Tanev out. So then it's, it becomes a Zadarov versus Shillington and the cost of it and, and and like Mike said, it's not a meritocracy right now. It's Tanev, you know, we or we invested three plus million in Zadarov. And and thank you for showing up and giving us our decisions, Mr. Shillington. But we we're, we've decided to play. We paid Zadarov. We're going to at least see what he can do. And the, the problem is they it might make them leave points on the table early, and they might be wanting these points back later, like they did last year when they were pushing and they ended up four points out of the playoffs against Montreal. And it's I think it's better to be able to recognize these patterns early. But uh, again you know, they're, they're, they're wanting to see, they want them. They want, I think they want Zadarov, Anderson, Hannafintanev. I think they really want that. And they pictured that in their heads, but it, 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 it Anderson Zadarov in the preseason was an absolute train wreck. They, they were buried in their own zone. They couldn't move the puck. They didn't read off each other. They were, they weren't picking up the right men on the rush. It was just, it wasn't, it wasn't good. So as soon as they went back to Hannafin Anderson, Anderson started seeing success again. And so they've, they've got themselves in a bit of a pickle where now they've got two out of four D pairing, two out of three D pairings working, but the one that's not is the one that they're going to put up against top competition. So they've got themselves in a bit of a pickle. Well, I just think they're moving backward relative to the division because the Pacific is a division full of stars who are quite fast. Um, and we're seeing the flames in that configuration that you mentioned with Zadorov, Anderson, Hannah, Fantanov in the top four three of those guys are not the fastest skaters. And I think we're going to see a lot of guys getting burned 
by the likes of the McDavid's and the Zegras's and Pedersons and, you know, all sorts of guys in this division who are fast. Thomas Hurdle is a burner there. I, I don't like it. I just don't like it right now. Um, and I think even, even Valimaki to an extent is not that fast. Uh, I, I think with the top six that they have right now, there's potential for them to have some really rough games on the back end because they just, they, I, they, some of them can move the puck, but I'm just worried about their rush defense because I, I only see maybe two guys on that back end who I really trust to be able to defend the fast guys in this division. And like you said, they're getting younger too. Like the Sharks, the Ducks, and the Kings are young. Like, like, like the Sharks, they, they cut a lot of like mid-range 20 guys for a lot of younger guys this year. And they're, they're young, they're fast. We saw the Ducks. Did you see that move Trevor Zegers made where he almost scored? He put it between his legs and passed it to himself. Like that's just an elite play. Like that kid's gonna be a special player, and and the, like these these kids are just starting their careers. And LA is gonna be a force. I'm not even gonna get into that, but they're getting better. The Oilers are still fast. Uh, it's 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 a changing game towards speed. Ever since like Colorado back way back when uh, when they lost them in the playoffs, they got outskated. They got they, that 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 five game loss was the, the Avalanche just ran right by them and. And they really haven't addressed that since. Yeah, and I'll I'll just jump in here, like having you know I having you know sat and watched the the Flames live on on Monday night. I think a lot of the similar structural issues that they had in the past were still there in terms of you know they they were especially in the first five minutes they were having issues exiting their own zone cleanly. Like the problem was they were basically relying on building speed in the neutral zone instead of building speed through transition, and so it took them about a good 10 minutes to sort of get that part of their game going, which was, you know, they were lucky they were playing Anaheim and having those issues because none of the pucks really ended up in their net because of that. But I think they're going to have to address some of the issues. Cause I think if you look at some sort of, if you were going to write the story of the first two games, it was, I would, I would say that in a sentence, it's played just bad enough to lose. Like both games they played, Pretty sound structural hockey with a few gaps, but the mistakes they made at key times end up in the back of the net. Like, you know, Edmonton, you have a, you, you know, you're down three, one, you get, you get back in three, two with, you know, half a period left to go. You think, okay, yeah. Okay. This might, this might work. And then, you know, Pooley RV gets sprung into the zone by Cody CC and all of a sudden, boom, back your net. Part of it's on the defense for letting them just blow past. Some of that's on the goaltender for not really making a save when they needed one. I don't think it's completely on either one of them, but I think it's sort of a combination of things that went wrong on that shift. Uh, a bad penalty by Rasmus Anderson where he seemed to lose his mind and take a double minor. And if you give the NHL's best power play that much time to get funky with the puck, they're going to kill you. And then against Anaheim, just little things like, you know, a bad line change by Monaghan, uh, Hannafin and, and Monaghan not quite really being fully invested into back checking and forcing poor Johnny Gaudreau, who made that he made a great defensive play when Good Branson uh, got blown past at, near the end of the third period to keep the game tied. I felt so bad for Johnny Gaudreau because good old Johnny back check playing his heart out. He's never been great at defense, but he tries. And then he has to defend against just an absolute great move by Troy Terry. And I, you know, Drysdale is a guy who's going to bury that more often than not. And he's so young and he's 
Anaheim's going to be a team that's going to cause a lot of headaches for a lot of players and a lot of teams in a year or two. They're already pretty decent now. Yeah, the skill, the skill players that they have, it's just quite tantalizing to see guys like Trevor Zegers and Jamie Drysdale on a team like that. I mean, they have they they don't have enough pieces yet. They need to keep drafting high. I think um, I like Mason McTavish, uh, but they still need to get a bit more support there. And Bob Murray's pretty good at picking up good young defensemen, but for this year. You know, looking at where the Flames stand in the Pacific, you know, they're not going to catch Vegas. I don't know if they're going to catch Edmonton. They might catch Edmonton. I'm not sure. Um, I I think, you know, it's crazy for me to say this because generally I'm skeptical of this team. I think they'll probably make the playoffs. Um, But I just... I I still don't think that's good enough. I just... I, I don't see the direction here yet. And I just... Just looking at a macro sense on Zadorov and Goodbranson, I just, I don't, I don't know why they made those moves. And I know Goodbranson has been good to start uh, in terms of, well, yeah. Just hold on. I know, I know Goodbranson's numbers have been good to start, but there's just still, even at his best, there's just so, still so many glaring errors that he makes in terms of at his best when he has the puck and he's making the play out of the zone. At his best, it's glassing out, and at its at his worst, it's right onto the stick of the other team. It's just not even close. Uh, and the stylistic—I don't even know if I can call it a style that he plays—but it's just, it's not inspiring. And I don't, I don't, I just don't know why the organization thinks it's a good idea to put their young players next to these guys because I don't, I, I just can't see the habits being developed properly. And. I mean, it almost makes me happy that they're not keeping Glenn Godden in the NHL for now because just some of the players that they decide to keep in the NHL, I just don't see any upside with. Um, and I think there is a possibility that they they missed the playoffs this season. You know, Seattle, I know some of my friends uh, who write about hockey don't like Seattle right now, but, you know, Jared McCann, Mark Giordano, Jonas Donskoy, I think the Flames could be in for another missed playoff season, but I'm not sure what you. Yeah, I. Well, we'll get it. Well, it's probably a good a good way to transition into the next little bit because, you know, the the Flames are a team that's going to have to try to get as much juice out of the proverbial oranges as, as they can. Uh, they're about to embark on a, a five game road trip, and uh, at uh, practice on Sunday they unveiled some new lines. Was it Sunday? Tuesday. I'm forgetting what day of the week it is, folks. Uh, practice on Tuesday, they unveiled some new lines. Uh, the first line is untouched. Gaudreau, Lindholm, Kachuk. They were good against Edmonton, good against Anaheim. They're a good enough line. Uh, looks like Tyler Pellett's going to make his Flames debut on the road trip, or potentially as early as uh, Thursday in Detroit. He was on a line with Blake Coleman and Michael Backlund. Um, Blake Coleman, quite good against uh, against the Anaheim Ducks. In his first game, scored a nice goal. His kids were there. His wife was there. Everyone had a good time. Michael Backlund was Michael Backlund. He's always perfectly fine. His bad games are completely fine. His good games are very good. But he's sort of, he is what he is at this point. Just a good, reliable player. Uh, the new look third line is Andrew Mangiapane with Dylan Dubé at center and Brett Ritchie moving up in the rotation. And then 
uh, a combination that caused a bit of consternation on uh, social media. Milan Lucic, Sean Monaghan, and Trevor Lewis. Uh, Notably absent from those combinations is Brad Richardson, who's still on the IR. Uh, Notably absent from those combinations and on waivers on Wednesday was Glenn Godden. Uh, Glenn Godden played fourth-line center in both of the first two games. He was 3-for-11 at the face-off draw. His combined game score, I believe, was... Uh, 0.22. So he did not get caved in. He did not get, uh, he did not, he was not amazing. He was not terrible. He was part of that really nice fourth line effort that led to the the Flames uh, goal in this opening part of the second period. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau flat out said it was a fourth line's goal. They just scored it because the fourth line did all the work and wore Anaheim down. Uh, I thought uh, Brett Ritchie and, and uh, Trevor Lewis were pretty good as energy guys. And I thought Glenn God was, pretty effective as the, the, the fourth line center the conduit for those guys. But I guess when you go out and you spend uh, some moolah to bring in a two time Stanley cup winner and uh, you, you want to have him in the lineup, I guess odd man out is Glenn Godden. The other thing this suggests is that they're going to be carrying a defenseman, which is a decision. Uh, I don't know. I, I, if you ask me, th- th- should Glenn Godden be in the lineup? I don't think he did anything to deserve being out of the lineup. So, you know, but <laughs> the rest of it, I don't know. Mike, what do you think? It's uh, it's an interesting turn of events because you gotta you gotta fit Pitlick in. I mean, Pitlick is a guy who could do decent things for the team. I th- I like putting him with Backlund, and, and that that move makes sense. The, the moves further down the lineup make me think that the idea is to roll sort of four more balanced lines or balance out the, make the fourth line a little bit less of a line that gets caved in, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I just don't really, I mean, I, I saw those lines and I, you know, there's some thoughts that I had about them. Uh, Brett Ritchie should not be in the lineup, but that's all I got to say. That's just my opinion. Uh, but um, I just don't see any configuration personally where they have enough goals. Um, and that's just a philosophical approach for me. I just, I just don't, I know they have Sean Monahan on the fourth line, which I honestly would say is completely deserved at this point. He has not been very good in the first two games and he was not very good last season and he's clearly dealing with something. Um, I'm not sure what, but um it just, I, I don't think the Sean Monahan who they've had in years past is still is still here, and I think it would probably be a decent idea to see if they can get anything for him in a trade. I know his old uh, stomping grounds, Ottawa, is looking for a center, um, so maybe that could be something where they see a guy who could rebound and and give them something. Uh, but. Yeah, I, I just I look up and down this lineup, and the first line's a fine first line. It's you know not it's solidly average, but in terms of how the rest of the lines rank in comparison to the league, I think they're all in the bottom ten. I just don't see the upside there. Um, I don't see the goals. Andrew Mangiapane is basically my only bright spot, and maybe Blake Coleman uh, if he continues playing well, and and obviously Backlund, but. In terms of pure offense, they're a team constructed to prevent goals, but they don't have the personnel to prevent goals, I think, on the back end. And I don't think the goaltending, if they're going to run Markstrom into the ground, is frankly, I don't know if it's going to be 
able to hold up the way that Daryl Sutter's previous goaltenders have been. Um, and so at that point you got to have the goals and I just don't see the goals personally with any of these line configurations, but I'll go back to you, Pike. I'll, I'll say, I'll say this, uh, uh, I'll link to this uh, when we post it up on the site, uh, Eric Francis over at Sportsnet uh, had a, a nice one-on-one chat with Sean Monahan talking about how bloody injured Sean Monahan was last year. Monahan had a hip injury in the fifth or sixth game of the season and his hip would lock up when he tried to bend down and he could not unlock his hip from the seated bent position for several seconds. It's just and terrible. Like, yeah. Like it sounds like his years sucked. Like, yeah. So for, uh, if you want to get away from the hockey of it all, you like, you know, Sean's Sean's a, you know, by all accounts, a quality human being. And well, it sounds like his life sucked last year. So, I don't think he should have been playing personally, but anyway, that's a different topic. Yeah. Well, well yeah. <laughs> I, I have no idea sometimes how, how decisions are made with that. I, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's weird, but it is what it is. Uh, but yeah, Shane, you want to, you wanted to jump in. Yeah. Uh, I, the Flames are not a team that should try to roll four balance lines. They're not constructed like that. Uh, the only significant off season addition up front they made was Blake Coleman. Everybody else is a fourth liner. Everyone else does what I, I called it last week. No event hockey where you can put them out there and they cannot get scored on. And so, like that—that's what Trevor Lewis is. That's what Tyler Pitlick is. They—they—they uh, they, they, they didn't really address the third one, third line right wing. Um, I mean, Coleman can do it, but they've got a top nine. That's their top nine. And but but trying to mix in um, the Luchiches, the Pitlicks, the Lewises, and the Richardsons of the world to balance it out, you're just going to further take all the goals that are there. That, that we're already talking about struggling for away from this team. Like I, I'm, I'm a little more optimistic than Mike. I do feel that they, they have some more goals there. I think Magipani can, I think Magipani is a 30 goal score this year. I do. Uh, I, I think Dubé, if, if he can find the right role, whether that's up the middle or the right line mates, he could get 20, but it, it's early. Um, 15, 20 games. Ask me this question in, ask me this question again. I might change my mind, but uh yeah, I, Johnny is going to get you 20. Kachuk should get you 20. Lindholm has the potential, I think, to get you 25. So there's lots of goals there. Coleman scored 22 times. I, I think there's more goals there than we think. But if they roll the lines like they do, trying to balance them out, you're going to lose some because you lose the offensive creativity uh, playing Monaghan with guys like Lucic and Lewis. Uh, Lucic and Lewis are NHL players. They, they are, they're, they're serviceable fourth liners, and you need those people. But I, I'm not a fan of these new line configurations and I don't, I honestly don't think they're last. It's going to last that long. I, I'm my the process is this, like the, the th- we discussed this last week. The thing that worries me about the team is sort of the, the composition of the defense, because I think that the, the way the, the things that the, the roles aren't really that clear, because if you look at the forward group, okay. Like you can look at, at you know, I'll use backline as an example. Michael Backlund's role is to prevent goals. And he's very good at it. And maybe you get some offense out of that line. But the whole idea of you know, Backlund's role at this point in his career is he's there to kill penalties, work on the second power play unit, and basically try to shut down the other team's first and second lines when he's on the ice. And Tyler Pitlick seemed destined to be attached to him at the hip for much of that season. So the third line guys, like they have a pretty decent group of guys who can play in your third line and be effective. Uh, you know, and I think eventually Dubé ends up there. 
because, you know, if you look at it, look at some of the rules, like, you know, Mangiapane seems like, an, you know, he's his playing style and his, his he seems like a, a very good fit on a second line. Uh, you know, Blake Coleman seems destined for the second line, considering that they have, you know, Gaudreau, Kachuk, Lindholm as guys you can mix and match sort of with those other guys. But I think the, the challenge is on paper and based on everything, you know, assuming that Monaghan is ready, willing, able and fully healthy and the assumption was that he is maybe he's still knocking the rust off because he hasn't played a lot of hockey fully healthy in the better part of a year. So you probably got to got to knock the rust off and get back to get back to habits. But it seemed like like you know the the thought process was your second line center would be Monahan and he would probably have I think they had one of the pre, one of the early scrim early practices like Majapani on one side and Gaudreau on the other one. Your first line was. I think Kachuk on the left side and Lindholm and Coleman with him, which makes sense because that way Kachuk gets on its natural side. Coleman plays his preferred side, you know, so it seemed like that all worked. And then your third line was Dubé with a defined role as a, as a checker, a four checker on that third line with Pitlick and, and Backlund. And some of that was they had a plan to ease Monaghan in and then, Coleman got suspended and then Pitlick got hurt. And basically I think any plans they have in terms of trying out lines and figuring out chemistry and, you know, move, you know, smoothing out the rough spots they could see in the lineup basically got blown and blown the smithereens because they simply couldn't play everybody. You know, I think in an ideal world, you play your NHL lineup for the last three games of the preseason for various reasons. They just couldn't do that. So I think that put them behind the eight ball a bit too, but I, you know, I, I think if everyone's healthy, the forward groups have much more defined roles for every single player. I mean, Luke Richardson is going to be the fourth line center when he's healthy. And the, you know, the goal for Luke Richardson is just to, you know, like you said, just play no event hockey, just slow it down and prevent Lucic. He can play in your third line if you're in a pinch, but he's basically a prevent guy at this point. And I think that's a good role for him. And I think he, he's responsible enough defensively to help out. And, you know, if he's good at that gig, he can be your net front guy in the second unit power play and help out those two. But I, I just think though, if you, if some of those guys in those, you know, those harder roles, those tough minute roles can't do it. Like say if Monaghan can't be your second line center for whatever reason, you know, degradation as, as an asset, as a player, whatever, maybe he's got the yips. I don't know. If he can't be your second line center, Michael Backlund probably shouldn't be your second line center because he's so good at the shutdown role. And if you swap him into the second line, who does this? Who does the shutdown stuff? And that's that's when the the whole house of cards starts, you know, toppling over. So that is going to be a thing they need to figure out quickly because if Monahan can't do it, who, whose turn is it? Who can do it? Because you're going to have to play someone probably above their skis in that role, right? Blake Coleman. Could possibly Blake Coleman's played center before. Now we're not saying he's going to be effective, but if you need, if you absolutely need to, that's something they can experiment with. That 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 is there. That option. Uh, I mean, they've also put Dubé down the middle, but I don't think he's a really shut down. They want him to be more offensive, so you could bump Monahan and try to put Dubé in the middle on a second line. They have a couple. They like Coleman has played center, and Dubé has. They're trying him there. I, I share your concerns. I completely share them. I bet you I want to hear what Mike has to say about it too. But uh, I I do feel that Coleman is a possible shutdown option should you need Backlund to move into that offensive role. Or you can put keep Backlund there and put Coleman in Monaghan's spot and try something there as well. But the problem then remains, what are you doing with your six-plus million-dollar center? Mike, what do you think? 
Well, I think the option that I like the most is putting Monahan on the wing on the second line. Um, and I, I think it would be a waste to keep Coleman in a prevent uh, spot. Like just for now, I, I think having Coleman on the second line with Dubé and Monahan makes the most sense to me personally. And I think Dubé down the middle on the second line is kind of their only hope um, to have a second line that is capable of playing up-tempo fast and high-scoring hockey. Um, otherwise, with Monaghan down the middle, they're not going to be up-tempo. Uh, and with Dubé down the middle, I mean, there's question marks, but at the same time, uh, he's fast and he has really good hands and uh, he's a good distributor of the puck. So you want to keep the first line as it is. Uh, as of right now on paper, Dubé would be you know one of the worst second line centers in the league, but he is, he is talented enough to get to the point where he can score maybe 45, 50 points in a season. Uh, he's not right now the defensive guy that Backlund has been. Backlund, I agree with Pike, is the type of guy who should be used in a prevent, prevent, prevent role. Uh, and I think having Coleman, Coleman is sort of the fixer. Coleman is a guy who just makes his lines better, sort of like Backlund, you know, used to. Backlund's, uh, Backlund's proficiency in that regard is starting to decline. But Coleman at this point is still a guy who can go on a line and make it work. Um so I think having Monaghan on the wing, being able to cover less ground, uh, maybe set up on the side for some some shots from distance, uh, while well, having Dubé doing more of the dirty work because he's a tenacious player who can you know get in there and have him and Coleman going in together on the forecheck and having Monaghan stay up high. I think that's a configuration that could work. Um, and then on the third line, obviously, I think Pike was spot on with Backlund and Pitlick. That seems like something that makes a lot of sense. Third guy in that line should not be Brett Ritchie, though. Um, I just don't see a world where he is an NHL player at this point in his career. And I would honestly rather see Lucic there. Uh, but I would, I would rather see somebody who's fast. who like Because Backlund can still skate at this point. And I don't really know that much about how well Pitlick skates, but I'm sure he's okay. But right now, I mean, looking at their depth options, Lucic is not that good a skater. Lewis is not fast. Richardson isn't fast. So uh, I don't know. I don't see the third guy in that line just yet. Or oh, hold on, Manji. I didn't even mention Andrew Manjupani, did I? No, no, no. So oh boy. I mean, that's the thing, though, right? Because do you put Monahan on the third line and try and you know unlock more defense from him? Because I think. I don't know. Mangiapane, Dubé, Coleman sounds like a pretty good line. Yeah, I, can, I can't even believe that I forgot Mangiapane. See, that's the problem, right? Because Monaghan is just such a difficult player to place because he is—he has a reputation as such an offensive player, but he's just, it seems like there's no spot for him on this team. It feels like every type of role that you put him in, he feels miscast. So that's the big limitation. I think a big part of the way that the Flames are going to unlock this roster is probably just by getting Monaghan off of it and maybe seeing if you can get a player in return who is better suited for their lineup. Because right now, I don't think he is. Yeah. Just just to jump in, like the, you know, we, we're going to have this probably debate about the top three centers on, on the lineup all season because, you know, Lynn Holmes graded everything. I mean, not so much graded everything, but he can, you can play him in any situation and he'll help you out. And he has more offensive upside, I think, at this point than either guy in terms of Monaghan and, and uh, Backlund. And Backlund is just so good defensively that you almost don't 
you almost can't put him in heavy offensive situations because you need him as a shutdown guy. So if Lindholm is your go-to offensive guy and Backlund's your go-to defensive guy, it sort of leaves, you know, Sean Monaghan in no man's land, even if he's fully healthy and fully effective, because what do you do with him? Because he, he's not nearly as good defensively as either of those two guys. And with the way his play is sort of degraded in the defensive zone, somewhat, I, I would say a good deal that is due to attrition because of all those bloody injuries he's taken, like his body, he's paid the price for all those goals he scored. So no one's, no one's going to going to say anything negative about his, his commitment level playing through everything he played through. But, you know, at this point he's paid the price and he's slowing down and he's not quite as effective as he was. So, He's not, he's, he's the third best center. And if he's your third best center, that's a challenge. So I think we'll, we'll see what ends up happening there. And I'll make this prediction. I think we're going to see probably just, you know, a consistent four man rotation on that fourth line of Lucic, Richardson, Lewis, and Brett Ritchie, Mike's favorite player. Uh, because I just, I think those, those are the four guys right now on the roster who seem best suited to those roles. Lewis and Richie were pretty effective against Anaheim. Granted, it was Anaheim, but I, I think we'll see some of that. But, you know, if everyone's healthy and you're rotating those, those four guys through, I think you're doing fine. If you're rotating three guys through and the fourth guy is on the third line, I think you have issues. Shane? I, I, I just really want to compliment. Uh, like they, they did, uh, they did push the play against. Anaheim. They did. They should, and they did. All three periods, they they were dominant. Now, and Monahan was a little too accidental for my liking, but what it, it didn't show up on in the numbers afterwards, right? Like like his his line mates carried him pr- properly, and it was it was. And so, if they if they played that Anaheim game ten times, they win it at least eight. Like, like honestly, they do. The, the chances they 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 push the slot. I've been watching the the specifically the heat maps, and they the, especially the top line. They get that puck to the. They, they try avidly to get the puck to the front of the net, and, and that, that's that's the goal. Um, they've Gaudreau's found a bit of success dishing the puck, and and I think Chuck's going to get some bang home goals here pretty quick. I do as long as the play keeps up. It, it's hard to lose that one, and and the changing the lineup and everything and in the D pair, I've got more, I've got more questions about the defense than I do the forwards. Um, I, I, I do, there is, there are, that doesn't to say I don't have questions about the forwards, but it, it's also only been two games and, and they've played really well. This game against Detroit coming up here tomorrow is going to be like, like you have to win. You have like, like, like you have to beat Detroit. Now Detroit has been scoring goals at a ridiculous pace. They 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 seven six against Tampa opening night. Mind you, they blew a six two lead. So, but Calgary the way they played the first two games, there should be no way Detroit stays in this game coming up as well. So, also we're recording this on on Wednesday, and Glenn God is currently on the waiver wire right now. And by the time it's posted uh, on the site, it'll probably be past waiver time. So we have the ability to look very smart or very foolish here. Uh, before we transition into the preview of the next week, gentlemen, bull prediction time. Does Glenn Godden get claimed off waivers on Thursday morning? Not a chance. I don't think so. I, I agree with you. I mean, he's, he's a fourth line guy. He's a, he's a serviceable fourth line guy. Maybe one day he could play on a third line. Maybe if he gets the right shot, 
but I, I, the, the potential really isn't there. Why did Zach McEwen get claimed off waivers? It's because he's an energy guy who hits a lot and has a good motor. And Godden is a finesse guy who doesn't really have the skill to be a finesse guy in the NHL. And he only really gets his motor going when he gets, you know, poked. Uh, and then he can get, you know, he can start throwing his weight around them, but it's not a consistent thing. There are a lot more question marks around a guy like Godden. And honestly, I think every team has at least one or two of them. All right. Now it is going to be a busy week. The, the first week we previewed two games because the flames had the first four days off of the NHL schedule, because I don't know, someone in Toronto thought it was funny or something. I don't know. TV rights. Who knows? Uh, we don't have that problem this, this week coming when we do record this program next week, we will have four games to discuss and chew on uh, the Calgary flames. Uh, will play four games. They will play Thursday uh, in Detroit at 5 PM mountain time. Uh, Detroit is Undefeated in regulation somehow. Uh, that game is on Sportsnet West. Then uh, set your alarms, make some brunch, order some food, get some waffles, maybe Irish up your coffee because the Calgary Flames are playing a brunch game in the capital of the United States, Washington, D.C., against the Capitals at 11 p.m. or 11 a.m. rather, 1 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Mountain Time on Sportsnet West on Saturday. So, uh, Last week, we had the 8 p.m. game. Now we have an 11 a.m. game. Welcome to the NHL. Uh, We'll see what happens, but typically the Flames do not have great success in brunch games. Uh, Then it's a back-to-back in the greater metropolitan New York area. Uh, They'll play Monday at 5 against the Rangers on Sportsnet West, and then Tuesday at 5 at Prudential Center, The Rock, against Dougie Hamilton and the New Jersey Devils. Uh, So that'll be fun. Uh, they are not going to typically they go to Long Island on these trips to usually what you see on a Flames Eastern road trip is New York, New Jersey. And, you know, they hang, head out to Long Island. But the Belmont Park Arena, the UBS Arena is not finished yet. It will be finished in November. So the Flames are going to be back with a seven game road trip in a month to go back east. So a month from when we're recording, they're do, they're doing the first game at UBS Arena. Uh, as a bit of a history nerd, uh, I'm kind of excited for it because the first game that the Islanders ever played at, at Nassau Coliseum was against the Atlanta Flames in 72. And now they're playing the first game at the UBS Arena against the Flames in you know, 20, 2021. So it's kind of cool, you know, as the flames have their 50th year of existence, it's kind of neat that the, that they are doing some of these throwback things. I hope they do more of these, uh, especially the the flames at times irritate me. I love the I love most of the people in the organization, almost all of them. One of the things that gets my goat sometimes is they kind of ignore Atlanta history. And so I hope they, you know, during their 50th year, especially next year when they actually, you know, I think the anniversary of the franchise, uh, the Flames were, were, were uh, I think, uh, given the, what is it? They're, they're given their franchise by the league in, I think, May or June of 1972. So, the, the, you know, potentially the first round of the playoffs this year take place during the Flames' actual 50th birthday. birthday. And then next season, you know, will be, 
I think uh, they'll have two seasons left in the Saddle Dome. So, I, you know, if, you know, hockey, especially in Canada, is about history and nostalgia and, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings. And, you know, it would be kind of neat if they can do some cool, fun things to sort of have fun with their own history because, you know, the Flames have a weird history and some of it's really awesome. Some of it's just weird, but some of it's very awesome. I know, Mike, you know, you're, you're a big proponent of, the old school style of jerseys of, of design of any, any kind of historical hockey stuff. So hopefully, you know, when they, they hit me a couple of years ago, I want to say Rob Kerr is one of the driving forces behind it. He was definitely involved, but they had the Wranglers, the Calgary Cowboys, the Centennials when it was the last three organized high level hockey games at the old stampede crowd before they knocked it down. That was so cool. And it'd be, it'd be nice if the NHL side of the organization embrace that kind of wacky fun the way the hitmen seem to be really excited to well what i will say is this there are no plans for the organization to wear atlanta a jerseys in a game uh, at least not this season because the, they haven't announced it and the turnaround to get that approval it just isn't feasible and I, I don't think it's something that they are that interested as you sort of alluded to but at the same time i think well, I, I have heard that there will be some uh, acknowledgement of that anniversary at, at times this season. So if you are really into that Atlanta A and you want to see it in more places like this is this is supposedly the first year since uh, the mid 90s that the Atlanta A is not showing up anywhere on the Flames jerseys this year because uh, they're not wearing the uh, the jerseys that have it as the alternate captain insignia. But I would expect there to be an Atlanta A on a jersey in some capacity at some point this season. I'm nowhere near the jersey buff Mike is. Mike is the jersey guy. Like he loves the designs. I I loved the look of the last jersey last year, and I just want them to bring back another black based jersey. It just looked really sharp with the red and yellow to me. So uh, it doesn't have to be Blasty, but next year there's a new reverse retro, a rumor, I'm not 100% sure on it, a new reverse retro trend coming out for a league and a black pedestal jersey or something along that lines could look fantastic. If Popo is listening, Popo, please listen to me. <laughs> I, I can't design that. I'm just, but I, I love, they have, the, the, the set they have now is just, I love it. It's the red fantastic. and the white. It's, yeah. it's top three. It's top three in the league. Like it's just every, no matter what they wear, it's sharp, and and the black just it, it just it just worked as a as a third. It just it just was a nice t- change of pace, change of taste. It didn't even matter. Like I'm not saying I'm not even talking about the logo on the front. I love Blasty myself, but I uh, just the color with the black with the, the subtle red and yellow on it. It was great. So I just since we since we brought up jerseys, I just. Uh, that that's that's what I would hope for. But I'll, I'll say this: Mike and I are much less subtle than you are at lobbying members of the organization. Uh, the, I'll say this: the Flames have a gorgeous red jersey. They have a gorgeous white jersey. It would be really nice if they had a gorgeous black jersey. It would. It's you know it provides some balance to the universe and to the the color palette. So you know I, I I've been told they have ideas, and eventually we'll probably see something new and cool in that realm. Because I know I think they were really impressed and excited with how much people love Blasty, but I think something more permanent could be coming. But we'll we'll see. I I want to be surprised, and I think you know they they did such a good job with keeping Blasty clean and simple, and you know 
committing to the aesthetic that they, they've earned some goodwill. And I think I I'm pretty uh, optimistic that they're going to do something, something interesting next season, but we'll see. Uh, I think that's all the time we, we got this week guys. So thanks to, uh, to Mike and Shane for carving out time. Uh, Mike, Mike just finished uh, absolutely clowning another team in ball hockey. And so we're, we're glad he's able to carve out uh, time between his athletic pursuits, his PA duties for the Okotoks Oilers, and writing for 1,500,000 sites. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the reflection on his face. He's probably watching a couple hockey games in the background, too. Uh, so St. But, Louis just tied Vegas at one. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's that season. It's, you know, there's a ton of stuff going on. Rory Karens just had a four point night. Okay. Uh, so hopefully. Hopefully we have fun things to talk about this year because, you know, you know why people love talking about goofy jerseys and wacky history and hockey in general, because it's fun. It's a game. So hopefully, you know, hopefully, you know, we all have some fun things to talk about because, you know, we, it's fun to criticize and profitable too, but most of all, we, we just want to have some fun. So hopefully, you know, if anyone, you know, if you have topics you want us to discuss uh, on the podcast or on the site, jump into the comments. Uh, if you, if you want a, a more interactive experience or, or, Good friend Pat Steinberg does Flames Nation Live on our Facebook page on uh, the Flames Nation Facebook twice a week. And uh, in addition to hearing uh, our disembodied voices squawk about all things hockey, you can hear Pat and see his beautiful face in real time. And if you aren't able to, to watch and listen to him in real time on Facebook Live, we archive them on our Facebook page. We put them on our YouTube at the Nation Network. So, you know, if you want to gawk at Pat, there are plenty of plenty of chances to see glorious visage. And occasionally you're stuck with me too, but uh, most of the time it's just Pat's beautiful visage. So uh, for all of us at the, at uh, Flames Nation and Flames Nation Radio, thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.